0: When you look at the whole invasion of Ukraine from from Russia, I don't think that we've ever been in a situation, uh, at least not on European ground, where social media and reliance on the internet plays such a big factor, right? And uh, we also saw Ukraine calling for people to volunteer under a sort of a cyber legion targeting Russian targets on behalf of Ukraine. It's a really, really complex threat landscape that we are looking into where we don't necessarily have all the answers or understand the end game that we might see in the cyber domain and what the you know the the consequences might might be
1: welcome to the very first episode of mandiant's defenders advantage podcast i am your host luke McNamara. Joining me for this week's episode is returning guest Jens Monrad, head of Mandiant Intelligence for EMEA. Jens, great to speak with you once again.
0: Yeah, good to talk to you again, Luke.
1: So it's almost a year, I think it'll be in May, that we had you last on here, talking about what are some of the notable changes that you were seeing in the EMEA threat landscape and... Some of your thoughts of how the pandemic was shaping different aspects of cyber threat activity, especially the cybercrime ecosystem. So maybe we can begin today as just returning to that topic of discussion. What are you seeing, you know, when you're looking at the the threat landscape there, when you're having conversations with customers and partners, and as we're coming out of the pandemic, how do you see all, the, all that sort of uh, melding together in terms of the impact from this event?
0: Yeah, it's a it's a good question. I think I think it would be fair to say that um, what we as a company assessed during the pandemic turns out to be very I think accurate. Yes, there were cyber related themes uh, carried out by cyber criminals, and as we were expecting. There was also uh, state-backed campaigns targeting, especially organizations focusing on healthcare and, and uh, vaccination and those kind of elements, things that we would expect uh, to happen. But what we also was pretty clear on communicating to both our customers, but also globally, was that I think the cyber criminal ecosystem took this more as an opportunity because it was a global event similar to what we see during the Olympics or anything else that has a, a global news impact. And in all honesty, if we compare, you know, the number of COVID-related themes that we did see by cyber criminals versus what we usually see, it was actually a significant lower number. I think during the peak globally we talked about maybe 10% of everything that we saw in relation to spearfishing emails were carrying a COVID related theme the rest of it was just i was uh, almost about to say the traditional cyber criminal stuff that we always see uh, where cyber criminals are trying to monetize unauthorized access to organizations so so overall it it, it was kind of interesting to see and the other thing that i think is worth maybe repeating again uh, that we talked about during our last conversation is that i think the biggest change to to the whole ecosystem actually came from legitimate organizations being forced to have everybody working from home. Uh, suddenly, you didn't have maybe the same security controls that you have in place in an organization, and you need to factor in what what can you actually do inside an employee's uh, home connection, right? And, and um, while I think most people are returning to some sort of normal state working in an office, uh, certainly we will continue to see People working from home because that's what they prefer or businesses are figuring out uh, this is a model that actually works. So I I think uh, on a future aspect of how we are going to work and collaborate, a lot of it needs to be factored in that people will actually sit in remote locations at home using equipment that the employer doesn't necessarily have any sort of control over. So so that certainly is a risk element that needs to be uh, factored in by businesses today.
1: One of the, the points I remember you making in terms of looking ahead and, and speculating what we might see, and I think this is always an, an important aspect of our work within the the intelligence part of Mandiant, is not just sort of trying to glean an understanding of where the threat is headed from the technical technical and tactical aspects of what we're looking at, but also looking at some of the external drivers that shape cyber threat activity. Geopolitics will be one, and, and certainly we'll, we'll talk about this a little bit later with respect to Ukraine, but... The economic drivers of the pandemic was something that you had highlighted. You know, coming out of that now globally, you know, you see the world economy kind of on shaky grounds in, in different sectors and in, in different regions. And one of the things you mentioned is this could be something that could shape participation in the cyber cybercrime ecosystem. I would point to also some of our research last year, notably Fin Twelve, that has done a lot to shape. I think the overall understanding that when we talk about something like ransomware, we're talking about a variety of different actors that participate in all different aspects of the ecosystem, whether it's developers, individuals selling you know initial access, the actual groups or individuals involved in deployment of ransomware, uh, the money mules, et cetera. So you have this large ecosystem, you have the sort of economic impact from the pandemic that we're still reeling from. Where do you see that going from here in terms of its impact to particularly cybercrime in EMEA?
0: Yeah, I think one of the things that, that I'm constantly looking into is uh, when you look across Europe, uh, you have different regions as well as countries where you have a, a really capable resource in terms of people that uh, are really you know, good at what they do with computers, but they don't necessarily have the opportunities to work what we would consider a legitimate job, right? I mean, and, and how will they you know those capabilities actually be uh, used to shape the cyber criminal ecosystem i think i think one of the aspects that i'm i'm certainly very keen to understand better and and constantly looking at is that we have areas within europe where you have a, a significant high unemployment rate uh, within the, the younger population and especially those people they 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 have a you know very capable computer skill that they don't necessarily can should I say monetize in a legit legitimate way, and and it's one of my my big concerns that uh, they don't necessarily understand the risk associated with participating in in the cyber criminal ecosystem, either as in terms of malware de- deployment or development or something else that uh, that is uh, uh, supporting the different aspects of cyber crime that we're seeing today. And and I, I think to that point, it's still something that remains to be seen, and and I think it's going to be a very very long term evaluation that we need to do and see how how that gets populated. The other thing I would say is that certainly what we have also seen is that uh, there has been some arrests of individuals associated with cybercrime, and they, they seem to, to come from different areas. And it's, so while we might talk a lot about ransomware and, and cybercrime in general stemming out of Russia... The resources and some of the people that might be facilitating the operations, they don't necessarily sit in Russia, right? So so I think, are they contributing to that aspect because either they cannot find a job or because it's an it's an easy way of making money? That is something that I, I think we will potentially see more of, either because people cannot find a job or because there is obviously a different... Uh, smaller sets of economical crises uh, happening in, in across uh, European countries.
1: So that's an excellent segue into what I want to ask you next, which dovetails into the crisis in Ukraine right now, but still staying on this topic of ransomware and the criminal ecosystem. We've seen recently, you know, actors associated with Conti come out and express support for Russia and sort of double down on that in terms of their you know willingness to engage in operations against Western countries or others that have instituted sanctions against the Russian economy. Uh, And then, you know, likely as part of the fallout from that, uh, we've seen sort of leaks of internal chats from different members associated with this, this ecosystem and this particular group, you know, potentially in reaction to that stance. This sort of brings an interesting question. and, And I think you noted this before it's not accurate to say that all these threat actors are based out of Russia or that all of their members are made up of um, folks that have an allegiance to Russia. Um, You have other nationalities involved in other parts of Eastern Europe and other parts of Europe. And so now we're seeing this sort of bifurcation potentially, at least amongst this one particular group and one particular ecosystem. To what extent might we expect to see similar friction um around or or caused by the Ukraine conflict where cyber criminals are taking now political stances or or choosing sides and to what extent might that disrupt some of these operations when it comes to ransomware and what we've seen the last several years.
0: Yeah, that's a really good question. I think what was really interesting to see especially with the with the Conti leaks was that obviously the there, there seems to be a bit of a timing considering that uh this happened after Russia invaded Ukraine, and um, I, I think there's a there's a few interesting uh, takeaways from the country leaks. One thing was that um, suddenly we were allowed a, a very unique insight into how uh, some of these cyber criminals uh, operate, and it turns out that uh, in many cases this is uh, being run as Somehow uh, you know a legitimate business where people are carrying out different responsibilities and they're they're doing different things in order to support the business and some might not even be aware of uh, you know their contribution to a cyber criminal ecosystem right so so i think I think that aspect was really interesting because um it also shows that it can be i think dangerous to take a political stance. During an invasion, and I do actually believe that uh, while Kunti did put out an initial statement claiming to support the, you know, the Russian government, uh, I think they actually modified that statement uh, later on, and probably based on the fact that they rely on so many different partners, including what we could suspect be partners in Ukraine that doesn't necessarily, obvious, for, for obvious reasons, right, support a, a country that is. Uh, that is uh, bombing their cities and and sending soldiers and invading invading their country and i think that aspect is really interesting to factor in when we look at the ecosystem as certainly around europe where you have people today that are depending on the income that they make out of cybercriminal activities but they don't necessarily understand if they are taking part of a a cybercriminal ecosystem or if they are supporting let's say russian cyber criminals or who they might be supporting and that and i think that's that's really an interesting perspective to understand when we talk about the ecosystem in itself and obviously I, I think there's also more of a i guess of a political science discussion on how can we ensure that people that are actually participating in the ecosystem uh because it's the only way for them to make uh, you know enough money to support family or support their their way of living how can we actually Create a better environment for for those individuals, uh, because I I do think certainly that is also the case that uh, that we could see, uh, and I think I think that that will definitely uh, help us understand a bit more around the ecosystem. Now, with with all of that said, and with the potential of let's say cyber criminals obviously becoming a bit more political in the aspect of not necessarily want to support Russian cyber criminals or don't want to help facilitate money into, let's say, Russia uh, via cybercrime. We have to also remember that, as I mentioned, this is, for many people, a a business. So maybe things don't necessarily change as fast as we would like. I mean, when I look into some of the ransomware leak sites that we are monitoring, it seems that we are running a a pretty uh, stable volume of incidents, unfortunately. So that could also suggest that uh, while there is uh, you know, uh, a tragic event unfolding in Ukraine and uh, we have, suddenly have uh, you know, a war on European soil, from a business perspective, the matter uh, and importance of earning money might remain uh, higher than, uh, let's say, the political feelings uh, towards a, a certain country. So
1: pragmatism might ultimately you know win the day and that yeah. certainly would be in alignment with again what you've been suggesting that the the economic impact is such that that's going to shape the cybercrime ecosystem in a may in terms of actors participation in it
0: yeah certainly but again it also remains to be seen i mean i think i think we are seeing a degree of them and us kind of mentality in the ecosystem and equally so uh, when you look at different Operations either against uh, Ukraine or against Russia or against countries that are supporting Ukraine or countries that are supporting uh, Russia. I think what we also uh, picked up that was ki- kind of interesting was that uh, there also seems to be a, a particular movement coming out of Belarus, uh, obviously uh, working against the Belarusian government and trying to distort or disrupt potential. Logistics supporting the, you know, the Russian military moving troops or moving resources uh, out of Belarus into Ukraine. So, so there is a lot of activity going on right now, which also means that um, I think we we operate with a lot of uncertain uncertainty right now, especially with with uh, what's going on in Ukraine. I think globally, uh, when it became apparent that Russia were in fact invading Ukraine. I think a lot of uh, people and organizations were anticipating this big wave of Russian cyber activities targeting, obviously, a lot of Western organizations. Now, what we have seen to this day is that has been fairly limited if you don't factor in Ukraine. We haven't seen a lot of targeted activities Outside Ukraine, certainly we've seen a lot of targeted activities inside Ukraine, but outside Ukraine, there hasn't been this uh, big wave of potential cyber attacks and breaches of of organizations. And I'm not sure why we haven't seen it yet, but I, I think it's also worth remem- remembering that you know this is this is still a very very early uh, phase of, of of an invasion. We are one month in, and who knows what might happen as it seems that uh, Russia uh, is not very successful uh, on the ground in Ukraine, would they pivot into into other means uh, and potentially target Western countries that are supporting Ukraine with military equipment, for example. And then then I think the other point is that uh, I've seen a very, very positive outcome of both governments, but also uh, a lot of organizations, including ourselves in the private sector, be very, very quick to share information and share intelligence. So I think uh, we are also better prepared than we were, let's say, a few years ago in terms of what we would expect or how we should prepare and defend ourselves.
1: Well, I definitely want to return to the topic of intelligence sharing and overall security cooperation coming out of this conflict. But uh, because we've not actually done an episode yet specifically on the cyber conflict in Ukraine or the cyber component of uh, Russia's invasion into Ukraine. Let's spend some time on that, because I think that, you know, we've been waiting or I've been waiting to do an episode more. when We have a little bit more clarity around how this is all unfolding. But I think that there's also a lot that we have seen at this point that gives us an indicator of potentially how Russia's employing cyber in this invasion there's obviously a lot uh, as there would be in any conflict where we're not going to see and we're not going to have visibility into what's happening but when you look at the activity that we've witnessed so far that we've seen here at Mandiant that other partners have reported on publicly you know you look at sort of the information operations activity from secondary infection suspected secondary infection activity ghost rider uncle 1151 uh, stuff that we saw in the lead up, even months to this, that would be unsurprising to see that continued. Right, that's the sort of thing that we would expect yeah. to see in this sort of environment. A lot of information operations, cyber espionage, of course. Um, I think of as of this recording, we're up to five different wiper uh, malware that we've seen utilize. We've seen DDoS attacks combined with, you know, efforts to sort of amplify the psychological impact of that with SMS texts targeting the Ukrainian financial system and mm. consumers of that right, trying to get people to panic about problems with the, the financial system there. Uh, we've seen defacements uh, on both sides of this conflict, right, of, of government websites, again, as you would expect. So when you look at this activity, is there anything that really stands out to you that is surprising one way or the other um, with what we've seen from Russia in terms of, of cyber threat activity?
0: Not really, to be honest. I think, I think a lot of it, what we're seeing is it's out of that textbook of what we have been responding to for years and what we've been briefing uh, both our customers and sharing uh, intelligence on with uh, our partners and 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 uh, organizations as a whole so I, I don't i haven't seen a lot of it but but i do also want to mention that it is still a very early phase and and depending on how Things might play out, uh, it might change, right? I think one thing that uh, that I did see uh, was put out by uh, Proofpoint, which was uh, kind of interesting, was that uh, they picked up spear phishing emails that seemed to be targeting organizations that were assisting near the Ukrainian border, ta- basically targeting organizations that were trying to provide uh, assistance for Ukrainian refugees. And I, w- I want to mention that because. Uh, those sort of items uh, and 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 events can easily be picked on by by you know threat actors because uh, people are in obviously in a, in a stressful situation so we might actually see uh, those elements where where the targeting is actually changing but i haven't i haven't seen a lot that i would say surprises me in terms of uh, what uh, we have seen publicly and what we have been able to to uh, together uh, in terms of what russia is doing uh, in in the cyber domain and and i think i think also you know the probably the 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 real you know tragedy is is uh, being played out on a daily basis in ukraine right so so i, th- I think there's there's so many things going on right now that uh, that also means that it's it's we're still you know in a very early phase where it's too early to say anything that might change i think uh, th- the most I would say interesting part that I've seen certainly is that we have seen an uptick in in um, what we would usually uh, classify as hacktivism, politically driven operations that seem to to either support Russia or support Ukraine. Uh, we have seen different individuals or or different groups operating under the moniker of anonymous, trying to you know call out organizations as well as targeting. Uh, russian organizations and 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 i think that's that's kind of interesting because uh, very cyber uh, legion targeting russian targets on behalf of ukraine so uh, it's a really really complex threat landscape that we're looking into where we don't necessarily have all the answers or understand you know the end game that we might see in the cyber domain and what the you know the the consequences might might be and um I think uh, the other thing, um, as I mentioned earlier, were that we saw, for example, coming out of uh, out of Belarus with uh, a certain group uh, trying to disrupt the uh, train or the railways and claiming to, to have a, a degree of success there, which was kind of interesting because uh, not very long ago, I believe it was yesterday, or in fact, maybe earlier today as we're doing the recording, there's also news coming out that uh, Belarusian... Rail workers uh, were actually physically disrupting the signalling system. So, uh, to what effect the the people operating the cyber domain has been successful remains unknown, right? So, so it's it's there's a lot of entities that that also mean that it's um it's it's very complex and it remains to be seen if we will see a potential escalation in 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 the domain of cyber uh, than we are already
1: seeing. And of course, one of the, the big questions that we're getting a lot from you know, the media and, and customers and partners is, what should we be looking for in terms of escalation outside of Ukraine? What would be the early signs of that? What would that look like? What might be targeted? And there's a, a fantastic report, um, a lot of which was turned into a blog recently that we did, and I'll include it in the show notes, that talked through you know several of the groups that we should be aware of some sort of some of the newer unks that we've observed historically or rather recently rather in ukraine but i think one of the interesting things that that highlighted was also several sectors that we think are at higher risk elevated risk given as we've seen sanctions play out and the impact to those areas of russia's economy if we're concerned about in-kind targeting and not just for the purposes of espionage to understand maybe how sanctions will evolve from here but of course, what we're most conservative, more destructive and disruptive type attacks, you know, for sectors like financial services, energy, but also media and entertainment, news organizations, and transportation. I think those are, are several sectors that you know mm-hmm. we highlight would be at more elevated risk. And one of the things that we were talking about offline before this is what happens to that risk, even you know, if we see a sort of cessation of military activities, if we get some sort of ceasefire or you know politically settled negotiated you know end to this conflict if those sanctions don't roll back for a while does that continue the risk to those particular sectors in Europe and North America and elsewhere where countries have in, instituted these sanctions against portions of Russia's economy how does that leave the the elevated risk of certain sectors in the in the cyber threat environment
0: yeah that that's a good question I, and i do think that um at least that's my personal belief that um hopefully the war we are seeing in Ukraine will uh, end sooner than later but i do think that the sanctions will continue for you know for an extended period and that probably also means that from a targeting perspective the the industries that we're mentioning they are certainly at a higher risk continuously as the sanctions continue and i, and I should have maybe also mention that in, in the very very early stages of of the invasion, we we did set up a a Ukrainian crisis resource center uh, where we are providing you know as much information that we can, uh, links to our webinars and things like that. Because I I do think that there will be uh, potentially a longer play in cyber, also because it is not as uh, resource intensive as it is sending. Uh, soldiers into a into a foreign country right so so I do think uh, that, that there will be a a longer aftermath in in, in the cyber domain where especially uh, western organizations and and certainly organizations within the critical infrastructure in countries uh, need to stay on a high alert and need to you know to operate with a high degree of of vigilance in in terms of what they could anticipate coming out of out of uh, russia. And it could, you know, it could be anything from disruption to disruption, or you know, stealing or deploying uh, ransomware. So, so I think, I think certainly there there is a a, a an elevated risk for a longer time than the war uh, will probably uh, be. I think.
1: Yeah, and it's it's a singular example, and I would certainly caution against people reading too much into it as a comparison, but. You only have to look at the case of North Korea as an example of what a capable and, and even you know, by comparison to, to Russia, not as much so, but a resource cyber threat sponsor um, cut off from the financial system globally, cut off from SWIFT, what they'd be willing and capable of doing. So I think that is an interesting thing to at least consider in terms of what Russia might do going forward with this.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and I think also um, one thing that, um, especially from a from a European standpoint, is that one of the uh, the things that uh, we have been analyzing very early and and uh, and trying to assess as well and, and and help out with is that when you look across Europe, a lot of uh, European organizations rely heavily on Ukrainian resources, both for you know development, but also for for hosting uh, of a variety of services, and. Um, and those you know those elements still stand today and they, they you know there is that high risk of uh, uh you know i would say a spillover in, in a supply chain attack like we saw for example with with not picture, uh hitting uh, global organizations but you know stemming out of a, out of a compromise in, in in ukraine right and i think i think those aspects will continue and will continue to be a risk and then you know it's it's really you know i i don't have any insight into depending on the outcome of of the invasion of ukraine how russia might you know restructure or rethink their capabilities in cyber or if they will you know potentially lash out against against organizations that have either been very vocal in supporting uh one side of uh of uh, of a conflict or Facilitating resources and military equipment into Ukraine, uh, supporting the Ukrainian military uh, fighting against Russia. So, so I think, I think, um, I think it's there's going to be a long time where we need to ensure that we are staying on high alert in those in those areas. And and with that said, I would say is also that it doesn't necessarily do you any favor as an organization if what you only care about is is uh, what's coming out of Russia. And I say that uh, because typically, what we have seen with with uh, gas to Russia is that their targeting has been, to some degree, a bit predictable. Meaning that usually it is uh, highly political. It is uh, typically involving anything around foreign affairs, uh, NATO, and and military operations. But there are certainly other espionage campaigns being sponsored by other countries. That continue regardless of what's going on in Ukraine, right? And if you lose um, your sight on those, and uh, and dare I say, you might actually be a higher risk, let's say from targeting by a Chinese APT than a Russian APT. Obviously, the impact uh, on organizations might be very high.
1: That's an excellent point. Certainly, as we've seen, actual several Chinese clusters of espionage activity try to leverage this activity in Ukraine and in Europe. I want to return to the the point you made earlier and delve a little bit further into how all of this coming out of the pandemic, but probably most immediately the Ukraine crisis, how you see that shaping the overall security cooperation landscape in Europe, certainly looking at things like the the alliance of uh, the NATO alliance and the extent to which this seems to have really galvanized action amongst many of the members and even within the greater European Union. Do you see any of that spilling over or having an impact on the side of intelligence sharing with respect to cyber or policies around this going forward? There's obviously a lot of different aspects to the, the, you know, for example, like the NATO military Alliance, where there's probably going to be greater cooperation going forward, but specifically around cyber, how do you see that being shaped? I think it's certainly in the run-up we saw a lot more, Uh, or sort of an effort by various Western governments to highlight areas where we suspected Russia might utilize information operations to develop a a Casas belly for Ukraine. We saw early on governments come out and talk about, you know, Sandworm is using this new PSYCOPs blink malware. Uh, Last night, we just had indictments drop tied to two other threat groups that we track, threat actors associated with Triton and then Temp Isotope. So we're seeing a very sort of forward-leaning, I think, stance and very proactive stance by Western governments to, to highlight and uncover and disclose Russian threat activity and capabilities. How do you see all this playing forward, you know, going forward in, in, in the European context? So
0: so I, I hope that the level of information sharing uh, we are seeing across both the private sector and european governments and entities like nato for example that that will continue because i also believe that uh the rapid sharing of information that we have seen and and you know you can even factor in cisa and in, in the united states as well right i mean it has been happening at such a fast pace uh that we haven't seen before and and, and i think that's really that's you know if there's if you can say anything positive about what's going on right now um, that is really a positive outcome. A lot of willingness to share, uh, a lot of willingness to, collab- to collaborate and, and and cooperate across uh, the private sector and the government sector. Hopefully, that continues uh, because I think obviously it helps from a defending perspective. But the other aspect is also that it is also sending a very strong signal, right, to uh, potential adversaries that. Um, that they need to either rethink or they need to go back and retool their campaigns in order to be successful in their compromises. So I, I do really hope that that will uh, continue on. It has been uh, really uh, impressive to see the willingness of of information sharing and also the willingness of of actually uh, you know calling out activities from you know from a government standpoint. I'm I'm obviously. A bit biased here because I'm I'm a firm believer in attribution and and seeing how governments are actually calling out uh, countries uh, is a very very clear signal and hopefully that will continue as we move into the future.
1: Excellent. Any final points or thoughts as we're wrapping up here uh, about anything we've talked about or or anything you think is noteworthy you want to highlight that organizations should be on the lookout for with how threat activity might evolve. In Emea going forward this year.
0: Yeah, I think I think my final point, Luke, would probably be, and, and obviously this is uh, should I say also a bit biased, right? Working with intelligence uh, and certainly working with how we are, you know, how we can create relevant intelligence for a, a lot of different organizations and different sectors is that organizations, regardless of the sector that they're operating in, they really need to get a a, a good indicator of who they should be most concerned about. Because I I can say that obviously doing everything that is happening right now uh, with uh, Russia invading Ukraine, that is uh, obviously stealing a lot of the headlines. It's, it's probably one of the most discussed topics if we look inside, you know, the information security social circle of, of people, right? But from a different organization standpoint, that doesn't necessarily carry the biggest risk, right? so they organizations need to really see how they can get information or intelligence and learn who they should be most concerned about that might cause the biggest impact to to their business uh because that might not be let's say a a state sponsored campaign coming out of russia it could easily be let's say ransomware or it could be something else because uh the threat landscape is not you know one dimensional for each organization it is uh, to some degree very sector driven right so so that that I think is very very important as we move forward if you're sitting there being I, I would say almost say you know mostly concerned about let's say Apt28 you know targeting your organization but with everything that we know about apt28 there hasn't been any sort of data uh, suggesting that uh, you might become a target, right? Then you're not really doing yourself any favors in terms of how to best prepare yourself to uh, to defend against any type of intrusion. So I think it's really important to understand the threat landscape and also how you can potentially align that uh, much better with your big biggest uh, business risks. I, I say that a lot to uh, to organizations today. I I, I actually I usually start asking organizations how they're doing against their adversaries because if they don't know who their adversaries are how can they defend against uh, the ones that are causing the biggest impact
1: well that's an excellent perspective to end this on and also being in the intel organization i won't fault you for your for your bias there to attribution (laughs) and intelligence but jens always great to talk with you have a great great weekend and take care
0: yeah thank you very much.